Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I'm your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by. Also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. Uh, I am here with two Andrews, uh, very, very noteworthy people in the board gaming space. We're talking about Earthborn Rangers, the Kickstarter project. We're talking about Earthborn Games, the larger uh, new company. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But we know why you're here, people. We, You want to know about games. You want to know about a Kickstarter. Uh, you want to know about the thing that is in front of you. It's like, should I back or should I not back? Uh, we are going to break all that down. But first, I'd like to uh, introduce my guests. Uh, yes, to Andrews, I'm going to lead off with the founder and CEO of uh, Earthborn Games. Uh, you may know him from such titles as <laughs> I got. Uh, uh, I got. <laughs> I got a lot of Fantasy Flight over here. Uh, was uh, involved with Fantasy Flight for many, many years, including its creative head for a couple of years, uh, but has since moved on. Also, our friends at Chip Theory Games worked with them for a little while. Uh, but is now uh, focusing most of his efforts on this project and this company. Uh, it is Andrew Navarro. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. All right. Uh, and uh, down below, we have another Andrew. We're going to call him Fish uh, <laughs> by request. Uh, he is one of the lead designers on Earthboard Rangers, uh, also late of Fantasy Flight, moving on over. Uh, did you work for Fantasy Flight? Yep, yep. I worked for Fantasy Flight for uh, about 10 years. Yeah, and there you go. Uh, and has moved on and is uh, lending his design talents to this new project. So Andrew Fisher, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. It's exciting to be here. All right. Uh, so yes, we are going to, we'll, we'll do the interview in two parts. One is I really want to focus on the, the game. I think that's what that's what people are really really here for, and we could tell. I mean, and the second part will tell the story about you know Earthborn, the the company. Uh, depending on how long we go, I mean, I mean, it's maybe two parts, uh, but we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, but people are really excited about this game. Uh, I, we have a Discord, and we have a community on the One Stop Co op Shop, and we've been talking about this game ever since the announcement. Honestly, uh, we love LCGs. Like, if you look at the top one hundred solo games, um, well. Okay, it's top one of solo games. It's a lot of card games. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Arkham Horror, it's Lord of the Rings, it's Marvel Champions, uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. And there's a lot. We love our card games, the solo and cooperative uh, community. So we're looking at, wow, uh, this one is the same but different. And there's a lot of differences here. Uh, so we let's start with Earthborn Rangers. Let's start with just giving the... I've heard it a couple of times that we've, we've talked about man versus people. We're talking about shut up and sit down. We're talking about all different outlets, but I'm going to have to go there one more time <laughs> <laughs> to give the uh, elevator 30,000 uh, feet pitch for what is Earthborn Rangers. Uh, do you want me to take this one, Fisher? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it's your baby. You should pitch it. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So Earthborn Rangers, uh, as, as you mentioned, Jason, it's uh, it's a cooperative customizable card game. Um, it's uh, similar in a lot of ways to uh, some of you know the LCGs you might be familiar with, um, but uh, it's also different in a lot of ways. So in our game, you'll be taking on the role of a ranger. You're a protector of a mountain valley in the far future. Um, and uh, our game is uh, is primarily focused on uh, exploration about and and going around and experiencing the world, meeting the people of this valley, meeting the uh, the strange creatures and and animals, and uh, kind of traversing uh, from location to location. 
and uh, and discovering the story that we've uh, that we've created. Um, we have a it's a it, it takes place on a kind of an open world map, uh, which is you know very different from those other games that you described. And uh, when you sit down to play, you really have the opportunity to kind of you know go anywhere. You'll you'll have missions, you know, kind of like again, kind of like in those games. You you'll sit down, you'll have a mission that you can put in front of you, and that can be your goal for the session. Uh, but you can also just you know choose to ignore that mission and go someplace else, mm -hmm. do something else, find new things, find new missions, and then to go do those things instead. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to do. It's a big open space, and I feel like we're, what we're trying to do is uh, is to take that medium, that co customizable cooperative card game medium, and you know take it some mm -hmm. new places. All right. So uh, how we're gonna break this down is you know me, people. I'm a theme guy. So like, we're gonna go into theme and we're gonna talk about the story and we talked about like kind of the far future and how that plays out. And then yes, I will talk about mechanisms because that's uh, in terms of the feedback. So I, I put it out on the discord, what they wanna ask about. Everyone wants to know about mechanisms. We will get there people. <laughs> I may even put a timestamp on that. Uh, but before I get to either of those things, uh, it's an interesting um, group that you've put together. Uh, so Fish, you are um, the, what would you say in terms of your design role? on here, are you lead designer? Like how did that process come out in terms of how this actually has developed on the table? I, I, I kind of came on the the Adam and Brady Sadler um, okay. designed the, the original design of the game. Um, and our developer Brooks has been working to create cards um, on the game. And I kind of came on to help bring everything together, kind of get everything ready for Kickstarter and help kind of coordinate the design here, um, uh, getting to this milestone. So this is a Sadler, uh, in terms of who's going, whose name is going to be on the box in terms of primary design, it's going to be the Sadler brothers? Uh, no one's name is going to be on the box. Oh, but, okay. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but everyone will be in the, everyone will be in the book. Mm, <laughs> but yeah, so, er, er, so yeah, it'll be uh, Adam and Brady Sadler, it'll be Andrew Fisher, it'll be me, it'll be Brooks Fluger-Levitt, um, Sam Gregor-Stewart, mm -hmm. uh, Evan Simonette is doing the artwork, and also uh, Joe Banner, who's um, helped me build the world and the concepts and stuff. So it's a more... A more collaborative um, approach, I think, to crediting than I think what most mm -hmm. people are used to. But if you're wondering what the design pedigree is, yes, Sadler's. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> our, our community is like, what, Sadler's? Um, <laughs> interesting. Um, was that intentional? And is that going to be kind of an ethos of Earth One Games? Or is this just kind of like sui generis to this project? No, I think that's a, that's something that I want to try to carry forward because I feel like, um, you know, coming from from FFG where we, <laughs> and, and like we were just talking about this the other day, uh, where we had a very strict, uh, you know, credits mm. system. Um, uh, it, it really created a, you know, it was kind of needed to be done out of necessity uh, just because of being a larger company um, and needed to be very dispassionate. Uh, but I feel like it, it, it also doesn't necessarily like really get to the heart of what everyone does on a game and how it is a very collaborative process. And there's, you know, designers get a lot of credit and they should, but, you know, the designers also need their team around them to help make the game as successful as it can be. So I, I feel like um, from my perspective, like trying to get that, uh, you know, that more communal um, view of like what it actually takes to make a game and making that part of uh, what Earthborn stands for is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you can definitely see it on uh, the, the the team we we have working on Earthborn Rangers, right? Like the Saddlers designed the game, but um, naturally, as Brooks is designing cards, they have to design all sorts of new mechanisms to help function with those cards. As Sam is writing this campaign, this campaign that's really um, 
connected to how the cards function, right? A lot of our writing is reactive to player decisions the players have made. Um, a lot of Sam's input Im impacts the design as well. Like, you know, we have uh, graphic design, obviously, as, as uh, you, you saw when you're playing, the graphic design of the cards impacts how you're interpreting the board a lot. So everybody kind of contributes to, um, you know, uh, that design credit in, in mm -hmm. a way, right? It is a very collaborative process. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... I know a little bit about this because I know a little bit about LCGs. And you obviously you can tell us all about it. Uh, there is a cloud of people behind those LCGs, is there not? Like a bunch of people? Yeah. Like, a, oh, like yeah, a, yeah. I imagine yeah. like, you know, we're talking in the dozens. Yeah, people no, that have uh, their hands on their on an LCG, uh, yeah. you know, because and we're talking uh, not that this is an LCG because this is licensed, you know, Final Fantasy has LCGs, but like in terms of the what this game will be an expandable card game with right. lots and lots of stuff. So like whenever you get that scenario, you're going to, you, you almost like have to bake into your mind. I like it isn't just Nate French or isn't just like whoever it is a ton of people. Does yeah, it? Yeah. It, it's a massive team that makes LCGs run. And that was, uh, you know, my, my original, you know, coming from a, a large company where I had, you know, a, a bunch of resources and huge, a huge team. Um, it took me a minute to like uh, recalibrate to reality and, you know, being on my own <laughs> where I was originally envisioning this game is, is having a release release model similar to like uh, an LCG of old where it was a, uh, you know, essentially like a new release uh, every month. But the reality is, is that just takes such a, a monumental effort by so many people that uh, it's it's pretty unrealistic to uh, to expect that I'd be able to do that right out of the gate. So um, so yeah, so this game yeah is is definitely built to be expanded upon. Uh, but the way we expand it uh, is is very much uh, undecided at this point. You know we're we're in the middle of a Kickstarter right now. You know a lot's going to be determined by that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely built to be expanded, and we'd love to expand it. And uh, I look forward to crossing that bridge when we when we arrive at it. so cool so that's how the you know the kind of like overview and some of the like the guts of how this game came about um as i promised we're gonna talk about theme right uh this is your story right andrew mm -hmm. like the, the the story that you wanted to bring so yeah. then um what people notice is that it's a lot more cheery than your usual lcg <laughs> <laughs> it's very green it's very you know like lush and um and I think I think like you know listening to the other the podcast that you've done, uh, you want to do something different. You want you wanted you wanted kind of the future, but you didn't want it apocalyptic. Like this is like a really like kind of like nice apocalypse, uh, <laughs> which you know like the the actual sense of the word apocalypse is like it's just our um we we've, we've come to associate it as like this destructive thing, mm -hmm. but you know it doesn't have to be. And so maybe talk a little bit about like, you know, it doesn't like we are not headed towards the trash heap of fallout. We might be headed yeah. towards something different. Yeah. So, I mean, that was something that, um, yeah, I, I've taught, like you mentioned, I talk about some other places, but yeah, it um, something that really struck me just like kind of like a bolt about uh, our imagined futures and you know, how much energy we put into this idea of, uh, you know, humanity, like ruining the earth and it being irrevocable. And I started to wonder, are we helping to create that future by buying into that idea and putting so much energy behind it? So when I imagined the world for Earthborn, I uh, tried to imagine a world that saw humanity in a better light and some saw humanity as uh, being able to uh, learn and improve. And in so doing, 
make the earth better and heal it. And so, so this game world takes place, you know, thousands of years in the future. And uh, it, it envisions uh, a peoples of the earth that are very different uh, from what, what we are. They have very different values and they uh, have very di different sensibilities and they have an inherent uh, sense of needing to protect the earth, uh, needing to caretake it as their home. Um, and that's kind of like the, the central driver uh, behind all of the motivations of the, of the people of this world and of the people of the valley, which is the one culture we're, we're focusing on for uh for the first game um but that's not to say you know there's there's not like hard road ahead like that the our 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 vision for the for the future of the world takes into account you know pretty cataclysmic uh you know change on the earth but instead of it being destructive it's healing so it you know you you can imagine you know like when you're sick you know you have a fever uh you're, you're not you're not feeling very great uh and then you know you uh hopefully eventually recover it's imagining the earth in kind of that same way where it goes through a, a period of healing uh and that's a pretty rough time for humanity um and then uh, but we come out the other side of it you know, profoundly changed and that mm -hmm. that is where the game then begins is uh is a, a couple actually <laughs> a, a thousand plus years after that moment so uh mm -hmm. they're they're just very different than us it's been fun to imagine uh, Fisher, how much are you involved in that world building aspect? Um, I, I I don't do as much of the world building myself. Um, generally, Andrew and and uh, uh, Sam Gregor Stewart have done a lot of that kind of like creating the world, uh, you know, like figuring out what the valley looks like. Um, uh, I, I've been more working. I, I kind of then take that material and then figure out how to uh, mechanically implement it in a cool thematic top down way. Mm hmm. Did you, did you go on hikes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually uh, slightly embarrassingly going to the Boundary Waters uh, up here in Minnesota. Um, that's kind of a, a big protected nature area. I'm going there next week, right in the middle of our Kickstarter. I, I had a... Uh, I, I, permits are a little hard to get during, uh, since the pandemic. And, um, and so I, I had a permit for this week for a, since a long time ago. And so... <laughs> Um, so I'm uh, I'm actually camping right appropriately right in the middle of our Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right when we're going to be doing all of the uh, reveals about the rules. And, oh! you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it'll be it's fine. It's, it's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in terms of the just hammering home some of the some of the theme stuff before we get to the mechanisms, um, are there CDs in your world? Yes. There so are. there are uh, cities that even closely resemble what we're used to in 21st century America. Um, no, no, not at all. I don't, I don't think so. Well, you know, it's hard to say. Like, <laughs> so we have ideas about, you know, other places in the world and, you know, we'll be, you'll, in the game, you will meet um, some people from those other places. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to focus like really small at start and then, and then kind of, you know, build build out from there and build the world from this uh, one central point and then see more and more of the world. <laughs> um, so yeah, saying blanket, ah, there's no cities like that. I, I, I can't really say that because we haven't defined everything. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, 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 what I would like to imagine is there's all sorts of different cultures experiencing all sorts of different things uh, <laughs> all around the globe. Um, they have this one, you know, commonality that they care about the earth, but in, and, mm -hmm. but how they approach that uh, is going to be very different based on their culture and based on their, uh, based on their own communities. Um, mm -hmm. My great dream is that uh, this becomes so popular that 
that uh, other creators from around the world uh, will be interested in creating, you know, their portion of the world in nice. this setting. Like, I think that would be like, that'd be phenomenal to have uh, people from uh, different countries and different cultures envisioning what their version of their hopeful future looks like and then being mm -hmm. able to interpret that uh, through the setting. I, that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, I mean, like, cause we, we always bring our, our biases. We always bring our um, preconceptions about environmentalism. Like if you read a lot of environmental fiction, you can kind of, if you look under with the fiction they're writing, like you can sense what ruins the world and everybody has a different idea of kind of what ruins the world. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, so like Tolkien, Tolkien, you know, there's no accident that the orcs were like underground at forges, you know, and like industry, like whenever you, whenever you saw the orc, you saw the movies, they were like, you know, uh, the furnaces are blasting and smoke was everywhere. So like, and then, you know, you go to the, you know, the ants and all the, all the natural stuff. So like, there was a definite sense of like, okay, we cannot, like anytime humanity gets too big and too clustered is a problem. Right. And so the fiction becomes like, okay, everybody's pastoral and spread out and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then there's a slider among these things like, okay, you know, when we get to cities and when we get to like these larger gatherings, uh, well, you know, what they look like. So I don't know if you had any kind of like idea of like, okay, anything industrial is bad. You know, is that going to be the road to whatever? Or is there a, a thought of kind of like, because you do have an artificer in the game. So like, I imagine mm -hmm. there's some sense of building and craft. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, like, uh, I think the, the differences between like that word industry, right? Like industry is right. this, uh, like kind of inherently uh, industry. dangerous thing, right? <laughs> that like kind of like self-perpetuates, um, that, that that's different from building and constructing and improving, um, and that exists. So, uh, I think that the, the, the biggest thing, the difference is that, um, you know, the people of Earthborn don't see the earth as a, you know, giant pile of resources to be, to be mined and exploited. Um, they see it as, you know, opportunity and they, they know that, 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 that it will provide them everything they need if they just take care of it. So, um, so they create what they need. Uh, they might create, you know, beautiful works of art. They might create like gorgeous, like resplendent cities, um, but they're not going to do that in a way that's going to be destructive. They're going to do it in a way that, that harmonizes with their environment in some way. So, um, uh, so yeah, there's, uh, there's, I think, a, um, I think it's a pretty dangerous misconception of humanity to, to believe that we will, that we are the same as, as we've always been, and we will always be the same as we are now in the future. And I think that, sure, uh, yeah. that there's a, a great opportunity for humanity to change and grow over time. And I think that's, um, you know, you know, granted, I'm not going to live long enough to see this, uh, to see these, to see these theories played out, but um, I, I feel that we make choices as individuals, as cultures, as uh, governments, as societies, and um, it really just takes making different choices uh, to, to change the trajectory of things. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I feel like the people of this world, again, like they're, they're so removed from where we are and they've experienced so much uh, difficulty and hardship and then come through the other side together through cooperation uh, that it really is, uh, you know, fundamentally changed who they are and changed the perception of each other. So, you know, they don't, they don't war with each other. They don't fight over resources. They cooperate with each other and help each other out. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's a, a beautiful sentiment. Okay. So who's the bad guy? Uh, there's no bad guy. What? <laughs> oh my God. Ah, Evolutionary. <laughs> going back Blow to, going back to yeah. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings is Sauron. 
right? It's not like the, it's not the ring bearers. It's it's Thrawn. Uh, Star Wars, like you know, in the title, like we're gonna we're entering into a war, yep. right? So in so many of the the fiction that we're familiar with, the enemy or the conflict is front facing, like right there. You're walking into some kind of conflict or resistance or whatever it is. So there is no there is no front facing. There's here. there's no gigantic villain waiting to invade and destroy. That is yeah, not, like and in, in an environmental game, would be like you know some hulking machine with like plumes of smoke. Right yeah, it's it not like you know Nazca Valley of the Wind where it's like oh this is a beautiful place and oh now there's this thing coming or you know it. I feel like that is the oldest story. It's really boring. Like everyone would suspect like oh this beautiful place. Like clearly there's going to be some. You know, it's like uh, the last rainforest and uh, there's going to be this like industrial thing coming and threatening and you have to fight it, fight it off. And that is. Uh, and save the, the land for, you know, yeah, people it, who are connected with it. It's so predictable. And I don't want right. to do anything like that. It's uh, I think it's I think it's thoroughly boring and it's totally played out. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, when I say there's no bad guy, I think there's no Sauron, you know, there's no like, you know, there's no uh, mythos. There's no Thanos. There's no like Cthulhu. You know, yeah, yeah. There's no. There's there's nothing like of that. But like like that. Um, but uh, there are consequences. There are dealing with the fact that the world is the way that it is, and that us. So like, if there is a, a bad guy, if there is any bad guy, it's uh, in some ways it's uh, it's us. It's 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 there. It's the ancestors of the people who live there. And, you know, um, part of what we're setting up is like kind of like the fun, like sci-fi-ness of the setting um, is, a, and a great thing about sci-fi is this like, uh, is that a lot of it is about like making choices and, and the consequences and dealing with those choices um, is that uh, the ancestors of these people who are us made a lot of decisions to do things to try to fix the earth. And they put into place uh, some mechanisms that uh you know were successful uh but then after they uh, achieved success now they continue and grow and evolve and change and mutate and there's things that are like out there doing stuff that you know are uh, kind of dispassionate and don't necessarily uh you know holds uh, human beings in any higher regard than they might you know any other uh or organic organism that they might see as a uh, that they might see as a a threat to the earth. Mm -hmm. So um, so if there's any if there's any bad guy, it's it's more of the the choices that the ancestors made, and then seeing those consequences play out, and then dealing with those consequences. So there might not be a bad guy, but there's plenty of danger. Mm. Are there monsters? There are monsters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we need monsters. Yes, no, there there def definitely are monsters. You, when you when you played, you didn't get to see any of them, but there are quite a few in the there are quite a few in the demo. Uh, but yeah, we call I everything mean, beings. Mm -hmm. Our our monsters are more like what you are, are called uh, biomelds, which are um, kind of like these bioengineered creatures that have kind of like speed uh, evolved over over a couple thousand years to become these these strange creatures on unknowable missions. Mm -hmm. I think and that I will uh, say yeah, good. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to say that uh, any monsters people see in uh, in our demo area of, of Earthborn Rangers uh, um, uh, pale in comparison to some of the stuff you might find in the southern end of the valley. Um, right. <laughs> that, that is not available in the demo, but we do have uh, developed and uh, th there's some spooky stuff down there. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> never fear. <laughs> yeah, or I, I, mean, guess, I fear, guess fear a lot. 
<laughs> in a way, like I'm, I guess I'm trying to evoke the skeptic. Yeah, of course. Right? The, the person, because I've we met some, uh, and not that I'm a skeptic, I'm, I'm a happy guy, uh, but just uh, seeing, um, having everything for somebody who's looking at the project and going, huh, this isn't what I'm used to. Exactly. And, you know, what are we used to? We're used to looking, you know, the first thing you see, the dragon, the Cthulhu, the, you know, the, the, the big glowing eyes or whatever it is. Like, and that's what draws me in because I, my, my goal is to overcome this, right? And then the assumption, and maybe it's not a fair one, but, you know, it is what it is. Like, if I don't see that, then I'm getting a certain type of game. I'm getting kind of a light, fluffy story game or I'm getting like a jaunt. I'm not getting a game like this. I think there's some people that, that kind of say that, in order to be a game, it has to be like a contest and I got to win or lose. And the way you tell that to somebody is by showing them the monster or showing them the whatever. Is that something you're, you're nodding? So I imagine you're, you've are you encountered that. Uh, oh, yeah, concept. totally. I mean, uh, to me, that's just, uh, again, like the stories that we tell are just this, you know, oftentimes it's the same stories over and over again. And I think that's true in in uh, in cooperative games, um, especially. Like if you, if you look, <laughs> like you mentioned, like, you look at the options out there and it's like, oh, who's the bad guy in this game? Like you asked me like, who's the bad guy? Like everyone is like kind of obsessed with this idea of uh, a story having to involve like direct conflict um, with, uh, with, another, with another entity that's trying to destroy you in some way. I think, and, it, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's the way we tell stories but it's also the way we game, right? I think that there's a, if you, gamers, it's a, it's a fraught term, right? Um, because who is a gamer? But I, I think like, you know, we're talking about like the hobby gamer, especially the Kickstarter backer. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to Kickstarter back in just a second. Like the the, the Kickstarter backer, the, the super backer, the one who just backs a lot of things and is, is constantly trolling that there's a tendency and I want to speak in, I don't want to speak in absolutes. Uh, the tendency to say, you know, quote unquote, where is the game? And by that, it means, you know, where is the choices? Where is the challenge? Where are the numbers to crunch? Where's the buttons to push? Um, so we can kind of like bleed into theme and mechanism over here because we'll talk about mechanism. Believe me, we'll get into mechanism. And so there was this idea that like, okay, I'm seeing all this beautiful stuff. I'm seeing the, the nice narrated <laughs> thing. Um, where's the beef? Where's the game? And the game being the challenge, the bad guy, the all that kind of thing. So, yeah. so tell the, me the, the challenge, bit. the game is there. Like the bad guy does not, <laughs> a bad guy does not need to be present to, to have that. A bad guy in the sense that, that you're describing that very narrow um, and from my perspective, like thoroughly boring um, uh, approach that again, like I want to try to offer something different and new and something that, you know, it takes the idea of an adventure game and then uh, wraps it around something that is uh, unexpected because I think you know from, to your point like I I feel like the uh, the perception is to have a game that is more approachable that uh, isn't about like constant conflict and violence um, that those games have to be like these abstract uh, like uh, you know still nice games you know like parks or you know like photosynthesis or you know like whatever or like you know calico like it's got to be about you know, cats on a quilt. Um, I don't think that that's the case. I feel like there's plenty of room for adventure and there's plenty of room for danger and excitement without, um, without, without building up this, uh, this artifice of, of inherent conflict. Um, and I feel like, you know, there are so many different stories that are told in other mediums through, you know, through written fiction or through film. 
and uh, that just because there's not like a bad guy in a uh, in a in a drama, um, uh, in a way that's like super threatening to you, like they're going to kill you, uh, that doesn't mean that that drama can't be like really thought provoking and engaging and exciting. And uh, that's the goal with this game. And you know, I've, I've seen several you know comments. People's like, well, you know, if it doesn't have a loss condition, then you know, right. then what's right. the game like? To me, that's just such an absurd notion um, because the the game is built around narrative, and that doesn't mean that there's not a narrative outcome that you don't want. Like, <laughs> there are narrative outcomes that if you don't do a thing uh, in the way you want to do them, uh, you won't get the outcome you want. So just like winning and losing, you, your outcome you might want is to win, you might lose. Uh, in our game, you might want a very specific narrative outcome, and hopefully we've created a story that you care. Uh, that's the goal, is to create a story that you really care about the outcome. Um, so if you get an outcome that you didn't like, that's going to feel just like losing. Um, but to me, like the, the, like conceptually, the idea of winning and losing in a game, especially in a co-op game, again, is like everybody does that. Like it's what every game does. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it's because this is the best way to do it. It means that I think a lot of people just aren't very creative and they want to just like, okay, this is what works. We're going to keep doing it. Um, and uh, I think it takes like trying to think things, think about things differently to try to like move the needle and create a different experience. Like mm -hmm. if I was just going to do another, you know, cooperative game in the mode of, you know, Arkham Horror or Lord of the Rings, I wouldn't bother. Like you just play those games. Um, so yeah, doing something different, I think is, uh, I think is really important. And I think for the people who are worried about they're not being challenged, there's lots of challenge for people who are worried about there not being a loss condition. Mm -hmm. Um, the goal is for you to care enough about the story where there absolutely is a, a loss condition. If you don't do get the thing you want, um, the, those things exist. I think it's just, you know, wrapping your mind around it in a different way and, uh, considering that there are other possibilities out there. From a design um, perspective, I, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think we've. I, I was to say, I think we've set ourselves up with a uh, a bit of a challenge here because you know one of the cores of our game is exploration and discovery, um, and so a lot of the story and uh, I, I can I can assure everybody out there that there there is there are stakes and there are <laughs> there are things at stake and we have like um, uh, we have very concrete plans in that regard and those different outcomes Andrew talked about like. Yeah, there are some. There's a there are variety of outcomes that you know you are going to feel, um, but part of the way we want this campaign to emerge is for you to kind of discover these stakes yourself and have your personal investment in these stakes. And so we um, we also don't want to just like I don't know uh, lay out like over half the campaign for you <laughs> here <laughs> and spoil it in the Kickstarter. And so we, we've kind of created a slight challenge for ourselves in that regard. Um, in that uh, I think at, a, at, a, at the end of the day, people uh, will have to trust us that um, we have something cool in store in this campaign that you are going to kind of discover and um, uncover as you explore the valley and do your job as a ranger. Um, and it's really going to kind of raise some of these questions of like, what does it mean to take care of the environment and steward? You know, the, the planet is is in a much better place in in our in our setting now, but it didn't get there like by accident. It got there by a lot of intentional curation that is ongoing. 
And what does it mean to be one with the environment and curate the environment when a lot of the environment was actually created by people in the first place? What is even natural anymore? What does all that mean? And how do you make this, these big decisions that could have like ramifications on your environment? What's the quote unquote right thing to do? These are kind of the decisions that like we're going to have the players are going to be wrestling with. And um, even though there's no villain, you can be sure that different people in the setting are not going to agree <laughs> on what the right answer is. Right. And so I, I, there's some very interesting questions that we have, but I do want people to discover that for themselves. So uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to talk <laughs> about them as concretely as we might like to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I, I you, oh, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead, Jason. No, you go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think you you hit on the, a point right there, Fisher, about, you know, villains. And like, I think, you know, again, another thing that uh, and the fact that there are other characters out there who, uh, you know, might have a different opinion about how to proceed than you do. Um, and I think that that's really how we're approaching, you know, villains in in our setting is that instead of just like slapping the villain label on them and say, oh, that's the bad guy. Or like, oh, those people there, they have Raider above their head so I can mm -hmm. murder them. Yeah, they're wearing um, the wrong t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so like uh, that to me, I think is like, a, it's a really uh, dangerous road to go down mentally. Um, mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's something that I'm not really interested in continuing to support. So, uh, so for me, like uh, you might, view someone as villainous uh, in the in the in the uh in the setting but um any any character you meet like that uh you will be able to sympathize or empathize with their position like you'll see how they got to that point and why they have the opinions that they have and why they approach situations the way they do um and you may be at odds with them uh, but you will also have an understanding uh, of them as a, as a person. And I think that's a really important thing to, to point out. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I think that what, what gamers are asking, I don't think that we necessarily want that like dragon to be, I think we've been acculturated to that. Right. And I think that we are locked in a little bit of a mental binary of like, unless I have the dragon, this will be quote unquote, just a story game. <laughs> right. and, and I won't have the buttons to push like right. at the end of the day we want the buttons to push we yeah. want to be able to like you know turn the card play the card and then I, I love what you said fish about stakes like I, I want it to mean something like that we, we're craving meaning and the way that we've especially in adventure games that we've the way we've coded meaning is beat the 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 dragon the the, the devil the Cthulhu whatever it is and so there will be stakes, there will be buttons to push. Like if I tap this card, it will mean something. If I have to discard these five things, that will hurt. It will hurt. It won't just like be a different thing. You'll, you'll, you're kind of, you're throwing a different needle, right? And that's just, the, I guess the challenge has been communicating that in a, in a clear way. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I, I would say that um, uh, it's when, yeah, like uh, Cthulhu is a, a incredibly easy button for, you know, what are the stakes? Oh, uh, well, like sanity and the world, right? right. Like the universe. Um, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's an easy button. You can e exactly see what it is threatening immediately, right? And um, our, our setting is a bit messier and that that is um, that, that makes it tricky, right? Like we're not, we don't have that like single villain that is like, this is threatening the valley beep, right? Like um, instead it's, it, there's a bit more complexity and nuance to it. And like I said, like a lot of it's um, things we want people to discover along the way. So um, I think it is a communication challenge. And we've definitely seen that across this Kickstarter is really communicating what that is. But like 
do know that like I think that um interesting narrative comes from drama and stakes and like yeah. investment right mm -hmm. and so that is something that um we are hopefully weaving throughout this story for you yeah. um but mm -hmm. hopefully in a bit more of a nuanced way than just uh, your uh evil overlord who's going to right. snap their fingers and wipe out the valley yeah and i think you can also just look at the i mean look at the team and the 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 people on this team and how many narrative games we've made how many like campaign story focused games we've made and how many games we've made that are just that are just like <laughs> I, the ones I, you described all you over know? the place yeah yeah just, just like the ones you described so it's not like we're we're like that we don't understand like how to make a, a game that has a villain like <laughs> that's almost all we've done which is exactly why i feel like it's important and interesting creatively mm -hmm. uh to explore to explore new ground so i i, I think like you know if, if uh you know, it's fine. It's fine to be skeptical. Hopefully you'll play it regardless. And, and then you'll see what we mean. Um, but I also think that, uh, that, you know, our, our, you know, catalog of, of work speaks for itself and, and you can, uh, you can fully expect that we take the lessons that we've learned from working on, you know, what really are a lot of very classic, um, and really highly regarded, uh, cooperative games. We've taken those lessons and we're applying that here. So, uh, we know what we're doing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, of it. it perfectly bleeds into the next question. Uh, and I'm getting this straight from our Discord. Um, that this project, it so you launched, and there was a problem with the launch, right? Like, the, like oh there was like God. a... <laughs> right? Oh. The, the, you, the button didn't quite uh, work. <laughs> oh, can I tell you what, man? Oh, geez. I, I'm never... So gonna... Tell the people what, what exactly their problem was. I'm never... For... So I never learned what the actual problem was, um, but... Drum roll. Uh, <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I've been, you know, we've all been working like extremely hard getting ready, uh, to go. And, you know, I've put in, you know, months of effort, uh, in like gearing everything up for the launch at, you know, 10 AM central on July 27th. Like everything was about like building to that mm -hmm. moment. And I was like, you know, I've been working, you know, 12, 15 hour days, uh, just one after another, my family's been incredibly supportive and, uh, you know, the moment arrived, um, I was totally prepared and everything ready to go. Everything queued up. We had the mailing list ready for, to go out. The website was going to switch over to like Kickstarter's live, like coordinating with a bunch of people to try to make everything work. And, uh, my, uh, my youngest son and my wife were in the room with me. We're all excited. And I 10 at nine 59, I wonder if it's because I pushed it one minute early, but I wanted to make sure that it was live at 10, um, at nine 59, I pushed the button. And then it just sat there. Drum roll. And it, and it says drum roll. And I'm yeah. like, um, <laughs> no. And then my wife's like, does it, is it supposed to be? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, and then I just sat there and I sat there for like 10 minutes just waiting. I was like, well, maybe it just takes a while. And then another five minutes passed. I'm like, okay, well, that, that doesn't seem right. Uh, so then I refreshed, uh, thinking, oh, maybe I just need to refresh it and it'll like, and it'll mm -hmm. launch. Uh, no, it refreshed and it brought me back to the beginning and I had to push the button again. So, uh, so that sent me down like a nightmare, uh, you know, a uh, couple hours where I was trying to figure out what to do. Um, you know, contacted 
tried to contact Kickstarter customer support. You can't reach a human there. Yeah, like yeah, you, oh, yeah. They're, you they're, you they're put terrible. in a, a thing on an email. We'll get back to you in one to two business days. I'm like that. I can't do. <laughs> uh, and, and we're all we're all barraging Andrew with you know our technical help. Like clear your cache. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I did all that. I did all that. I restarted. I did the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, eventually. Uh, um, I was able to get an email from a couple different sources. Yeah. Someone in a discord like said, Hey, here's a guy who works there. Here's his email. And then there's also a guy that uh, a friend of ours had, had spoken to at the beginning of the year. His name's uh, John, John Ritter Roderick, uh, who works at Kickstarter. Um, so I got his email and I sent him an email. I was like, okay, thank, thank goodness. I have someone. Uh, and then I get his out of office response. Oh, He's on no. vacation. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, so they're like, oh geez. Well, now what am I going to do? But then, you know, God bless him. You know, five minutes later, he responds and is like, hey, I'm on vacation. We'll we'll get this fixed. Uh, you know, here email Anya Combs, who's the the director of games Outre- outreach, and uh, I'll let her know that, that they'll give her a heads up. So. Um, so I emailed Anya, heard back from her. I emailed her, I think like during lunch. So I was like just sitting there, like refreshing my email in my mailbox, also continually pushing the button, just hoping that eventually it would work. Um, and, if you think uh, a 20 year game industry insider just keeps it cool all the time, no way. <laughs> well, I went from like highly anxious to very calm. I was like, okay, well, clearly it, it's you know this is just how it's supposed to be like it'll launch when it launches everything's cool mm. uh, but then i got my response from the uh <laughs> from the uh from the help desk and it was like one of those like it's totally bland like we are sorry for your problem like our your problem is very important to us i'm like ah and that made me a little bit aggravated but um uh, but anyway she got back to me and that was great she said yeah sorry we'll you know expedite this with the with the team and I'll let you know as soon as I hear anything. Um, I never heard her back from her uh, before it went like eventually, you know, one, I think that's maybe the 20th, 23rd time I pushed the button, it just launched. So okay. I was like, Oh, I guess it's live now. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, so it was, it was a pretty harrowing four hours, wow. but, uh, but yeah, it worked. And then, you know, we, we still uh, funded day one. We funded in like, you know, five hours, which was, uh, which was really awesome. So, um, you know, went from a very uh, stressful uh, and emotionally exhausting morning to a uh, a, a really very tiring and a, and emotionally exhausting in another way um, mm-hmm. <laughs> night. So it was, it was all good in the end. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but I'll get back to the original question. That was fast, that's fascinating. I think <laughs> I the, the the joys of Kickstarter. Oh, um, man. So the decision was made to launch the Kickstarter without a lot of gameplay video. Right, yeah. and there wasn't a lot of like I don't I, I don't believe there's like a rules book or, or like a rules PDF available. Right, there's not no like it. It's a, a very like the theme is very front facing and the art is very front facing and the people are very front facing. So like wow the Saddlers, wow Andrew Navarro, wow you know uh, a great pedigree. And I think I, I've, I've the comment that I got was wow this game is kind of funded on pedigree and it's funded on the names. Yeah. I trust the names. Right, that and that's kind of how yeah, and that, funded, and that, and that means a lot. I mean, I mean, I'm you know incredibly <laughs> grateful, and uh, it it's uh, it's gratifying to um uh, to to have that level of trust with the audience. And so, but without the gameplay video, so like that's what I a lot of feedback was. Why not put in more gameplay at the um, be, at the very very beginning? Yeah, I mean, really, it was uh, <laughs> it, you know, I I think. 
we've done a really good job, at least a lot of the feedback I've received of like, you know, making us making Earthborn seem like a like a larger entity than maybe that it, than it really is with more resources than it maybe has. And uh, because it looks good. And again, you know, like, I feel like we know what we're doing in that regard. Um, so uh, I th and I think, you know, people have come to expect that from Kickstarters these days is like, you know, leading right. up to the Kickstarter is just like, months and months and months of of just like here's more gameplay footage of this thing and then it launches and it has like you know 20 bajillion videos on it that when i whenever i go to a page it's kind of like scroll over like i'm not gonna watch any of these things um oh I, I, I make some of those things i know but there's too there's too many it's like information overload you know right. what i mean um so i might start to watch one but at the end of the day like i'm still just gonna like be looking at the at the kickstarter am i interested in this mm -hmm. thing do i think it's cool and you know i'll I'll back it regardless. Like, I, I just, I think I just come from a of a uh, of a different uh, type of person. Where like, I'm interested in the idea of the thing, and I will, if I think it sounds cool, I'll just buy it. And like, I'll make my own decisions as to whether or not I think it's uh, it's good. And I'm not really worried about, you know, like knowing like all the mechanisms or all the ins and outs of the game uh, before I before I feel like I need to make a decision. Um, I'll I'll buy most most of my things on you know larger than impulse and feel. Um, and you know, just what I hear from other people. So like, so it's really more of like a retail buying kind of mindset. And I think mm. again, because of where I came from, which was a retail focused company, um, that's where my mind is when it comes to like how to present a game. So yeah, fantasy fight doesn't have a lot of gameplay videos. No, we don't like, do any game. We're not videos. seeing any of that. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Fight, it's right. like, it's like a couple previews and like whatever. And then the game releases and then you take a chance. you know what I mean? you like, you, uh, there's there's not that kickstarter kind of like you know a billion things so um so that's definitely that's the world i come from so like that's where my mind is at mm. uh, but also it's just a matter of practicality like there aren't a lot of us like we honestly have this gameplay like in a spot where we're happy with it and comfortable like really showing it and like showing the game um at its best um ready by the time it was ready like uh and um i felt that uh, I was comfortable like going into the Kickstarter with a like let's let's show the art, let's talk about the concepts, let's talk about the basics of the rules, let's like give you all that foundational stuff where it's like if you you know you know believe in the project and you think it's going to be cool, like you have that you have enough information to make a decision um, easily. Uh, it just doesn't have that like what has become a very prototypical Kickstarter thing to do, which is gameplay up front. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that chip theory does too right like you know chip theory doesn't give out gameplay stuff before their kickstarter launches they do it during during the kickstarter and um and i learned you know from being there that that is okay and good and you can get people excited um during the kickstarter by making a big deal about when mm -hmm. gameplay becomes available so uh so really that was our thinking um and obviously you know it'll that'll all be history by the time this posts um but uh so that so you know we we were kind of hoping maybe trying to shoot for having that first gameplay video um hit the the day before um but you know in reality like we just had in, in addition to doing all the work on the kickstarter <laughs> we had to do the work on you know making the demo look nice and and get tightened up and getting that mm -hmm. all like nice and play tested uh and it just you know took the time that it did so uh but in the end it's it's coming out on the day that i originally planned which is the first monday uh after the launch of the kickstarter 
and we'll be doing um, gameplay live streams mm-hmm. uh, every Monday uh, after that, at least. So, um, uh, so you'll look forward to like three pretty nice, big, beefy uh, gameplay uh, demos by the by the end of the by the end of the um, Kickstarter. And I, if you're familiar with Team Covenant stuff, you know they're going to be mm-hmm. fun. They're going to be engaging. Yep. They're they're going to be hours long um (laughs) so you're gonna have so much gameplay to to uh to to check out um by the end if you want to hold off you know until uh until the very end to make a decision as whether or not you want to back um Mm -hmm. you'll you'll have all that information by the end so so yeah so that's everything that went into like why why that we didn't have that gameplay up front um it's fascinating how like just swimming upstream in these ways and like not having the noteworthy bad guy not having you know, the, the the with loss condition not yeah. having the you know, gameplay front facing it's like you know kind of i don't know if you tend to do this on purpose just to like kind of like shake up our minds but like it really did run into like the things we've come to expect yeah i wouldn't say it's the right wage but like i think about you know way back in the day like king of death monster launched with no gameplay whatsoever it closed with no gameplay whatsoever it closed with a bunch <laughs> of like gnarly minis and it's yeah. like people just backed it like, <laughs> like crazy because the minis yeah. look great. Yeah. Um, so it's more like that than it yeah. is, you know. And that's a really and, and yeah. that's a really cool game. Like I I I think that game's pretty uh, pretty badass. I've had a lot of fun with that game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh it's it. I, I did not go into this saying like I'm going to do everything different. Um, it's just kind of uh, kind of worked out that way. And I feel like a lot of it is more about just like shaking it up for me. Um, the, as opposed to like shaking up for the audience, like, uh, you know, Fisher can attest, like when, uh, when, when I was first bringing him on board, he was giving, he was grilling me on all of these, uh, all these <laughs> questions about the game. Right. And uh, he asked me like, you know, who's the audience? And my first response was me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the audience for this game. Um, first and foremost, because I want something that I think is interesting and, and something that challenges my preconceptions and something that is different and fresh and uh i've played so many games i've helped make hundreds and hundreds of games um and my point of view is such that uh it's really hard for me to get excited about things uh because it feels like it's a lot of just retreading the same territory over Mm -hmm. and over again so um so I feel like the, I feel like there are there are other people out there like me who are you know happy to keep playing like right fun thing. yeah happy I, to keep playing the same. I thing. couldn't get into the LCGs. It's it's the same thing. Marvel. Yeah. I love Marvel. How many bad guys am I going to beat? I, I want yeah. a story. I want yeah yeah yeah. So mm-hmm. like you know trying to do something uh, different, something that was like a game that if I sat down to play, it was something that I would enjoy and it would really like draw me in and mm-hmm. that would uh, really engage me and get me thinking and, uh, and something that would stick with me for, for years. Um, so that's really the goal behind this game is, is to try to create something that uh, is just a, um, a phenomenal experience and something that you'll, that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Uh, so Fish, that list of questions is fascinating. Like, I would love to see, because I imagine that a lot of backers have similar questions. So like, what were the front-facing questions when you first heard about this game? What were the, I imagine you had a bunch of them, but like, what were some of like the most important ones? Like the audience thing and then maybe some uh, Yeah, I mean, let me see. Let me bring up the document. No, I, I, <laughs> um, well, I, you know, like when, when I came on board, you know, I, I asked a lot of the same questions that like 
Um, we think about when launching a product at a place like Fantasy Flight as well, right? You're like you're looking at what are the core themes, right? Like what are the what are the main themes that we're trying to evoke with this gameplay? Um, you know, and you, you get like the the normal boring stuff like uh, playtime and general complexity level, yada yada. But um, uh, the other stuff we're looking for is the stuff that drives vision. Like what is the vision for this game? And so core themes are one. Um, and then another big one that I find I found really uh, useful is kind of that um, who is this game for, right? Like mm -hmm. um, I, I think there's different uh, there's a marketing term for it, but basically you know you, you create like a couple hypothetical people that are the people you want to, this game to resonate with. Who is going to love your game, right? And so, like, we, we talked about that person. Um, and I did uh, snarkily write in my document under uh, one of those people was just Andrew Navarro. Uh, <laughs> but we had we had other hypothetical people who we want to appeal to as well. Right. Like um, who we think that this experience can appeal to. And then you, you kind of keep that person in mind. You keep the core themes you want to evoke in mind and then you keep that person in mind. Um, and the core themes can kind of help uh, inform what like dynamics you want the mechanics of your game to be creating and then that that person can kind of inform how you're going to be teaching the game right how you're going to be presenting the information and how you're going to be teaching the game because a different person is going to require the information presented in a different way um and so those were those were two really important things we also got into a bunch of other stuff like you know uh, uh you know what are the what is really working about the game right now? What is your favorite thing that's working in the game right now? And you know, uh, as with any game in development, what are what are the things that are not working at all? Which which parts of the game just aren't achieving right now? And and so you know, we got into some nitty or gritty, nitty gritty like that. Um, but uh, the kind of like themes and t uh, players are those two like high level questions. Mm -hmm. So whenever I think of, so we've talked about the world a lot and the way I, when I think about the adventure games, I think of them in like a three buckets. There's like player side stuff, uh, the board stuff, and then the overall story, right? Those are three things that I kind of think about. We've talked about story. You know, we've talked about a lot, a lot, and we'll, I'm sure we'll hear more. Um, in your, like, what would be the best pedagogically? Cause now we'll get into mechanisms, like you're not really teaching what people, what people are getting pedagogically. Do you begin with like, you know, explaining what the player side does and like going through that? Or do you begin with the world stuff and kind of get into that? Or is it like a mix of the, of the two? So, yeah, I um, usually when, when I when I sit down to teach, uh, as you experienced when uh, when we were playing a little bit ago, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll kind of talk about uh, who you are and, and what you're playing, the character, character. you're embodying. Mm -hmm. um, then I'll talk about the valley and how that is represented. Um, I'll talk about like all the different... Uh, pieces that kind of represent the world you're, that you are going to be in. Um, and that includes your objective. Normally when I'm teaching a game, objective comes first and foremost, but as per our previous conversation about theme, um, I felt it was more important to talk about you embodying your character before. And I include the objective as part of talking about the Valley. And then finally we talk about the actual like um, moment to moment gameplay of the round. Um, so that's kind of the importance I give is, is you the character that you're embodying, um, you know, it, you are playing a character of your creation and you know there's kind of a role-playing bent to all of this and so I, I wanted to put that really forward and then the valley is is a close second um and then the actual like round to round gameplay well still important is just how we evoke the themes of you in the place so that's mm -hmm. why it comes third yeah i think like in terms of the actual round to round i think people are interested at because they don't 
they want to be able to make sure that the player stuff matters. I don't think they need to know like the details. They just want to know like there's a there there. <laughs> and it's not just like, okay, flip a card, read it right. and then move on. Right. right. So um, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's go one, two, three, let's go. Um, and let's start with player side. Cause that is how you started with me. Um, player side. It is a deck construction game. Yep. Right. Uh not deck builder in a way like we're building a deck during the game, but like we're pre-constructing a deck and then we're going to implement that deck. So maybe talk about a little bit about the deck construction. And along the way, uh, we took some still shots. Uh, You know, the the TTS is like, you know, I'm not, you know, huge on the, um, you know, the software needed to kind of like stream the entire thing. And it's like, you know, it's not going to stay to be really filmed, but we did take still shots and I'll be kind of splashing those in uh, throughout the uh, interview. And so if you listen to the podcast, Still pause the podcast <laughs> or go to team covenant and like listen to some of the, uh, or watch some of their coverage. I'm sure there's going to be like tons of stuff. Um, so for the benefit of the video, I will splash in some screenshots, a, a, a couple along the way. So then player side, we've constructed the deck. What are, what am I doing? And, and how am I doing it? Um, what are you doing in the game? Or, what am I doing? Um, just for, constructing, just constructing the just, deck. Just to build the deck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just totally. Um, so, uh, yeah, character creation, um, you're going to be making kind of uh, um, several big decisions. So uh, first and foremost, you're going to be deciding on your aspects, which are kind of your stats in the game. We have different aspect spreads. Um, your, uh, so, four, so aspects. Be, four aspects. Um, yep, so we, there's four different aspects, and then uh, they're represented by a card in the game. And we have uh, cards. I think they rep- we have cards that represent every possible aspect spread, if I'm not mistaken, Andrew. Right? Yes, we, we, we do. Have, yep. yep. Um, and so you get to kind of uh, choose choose your stats and, and how they're they're going to be distributed. Um, and then you're going to make a few decisions that determine what kind of card pools you're going to be pulling from from your character. So you're going to be deciding on your background, which kind of represents your what you did before you joined the Rangers, your history as a character. Um, there's several different backgrounds uh, that uh, are going to determine which kinds of cards you're going to be using. Then you're going to be choosing a specialization, which is kind of representative of what you're doing now in the Rangers, what role you play in the Rangers. And as part of that, you get to choose a role card. Each specialization has a couple role cards. Uh, Those are the cards uh, hopefully people have seen in other materials that go on the board and give you a special repeatable ability that you can really build your deck around. Finally, you get to choose your personality, which is a more general pool of cards. You don't choose a... Like with background and specialization, you'll choose a specific kind of category that you'll be pulling cards from with with personality everybody kind of gets to pick from all the different personalities based on uh just the restrictions of maybe what aspects they have some personalities might be locked off depending on how high your aspect values are and personalities allow you to kind of customize your character to you they some of them you know mechanically will enable certain combos um others you know they're all pretty good cards uh some players might just decide to pick them based on the theme of the card and how they want their ranger to feel right like um you know is your ranger more kind of considered or are they just a little more impulsive right and you can kind of make those decisions at this step uh yeah, finally so, we have so, oh, um, I, I apologize for interrupting um no, no. in terms of like um because when I played, I played kind of a healery ranger, right? I, a lot of um, there's a mechanical fatigue. We'll get to that in a second. But like you know, a, a, a ranger that can mitigate that fatigue, right, mm-hmm. and take cards out of the fatigue pile, and uh, a ranger that focused on like more one shotty abilities, uh, where I could have focused my ranger on like having a lot of tools and having like a you know uh, weapons and knives and bo- and like that feels different. Right. Yeah. Like when, and, whenever um, it gets to an adventure game, I think people think in terms not just like in terms of like the high level sorcerer bard, but they think of like you know the mechanical role, think of like World of Warcraft. 
Am I a healer? Am I DPS? Am I one shotty? Am I, is that, is there going to be that level of, is there going to be that type of outlet here? Oh, absolutely. There's a s several different uh, kind of deck builds we're enabling here. So to get a little nitty gritty, um, and uh, oh, people I love nitty gritty. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the time this, by the time this is out, there should be a couple updates talking about this as well. Sure. Um, but uh, there is, uh, so the backgrounds, um, there's four different backgrounds in the core set. Um, and each of these specializes, the backgrounds as a whole um, are kind of your enabler cards. These are kind of what set, uh, set up your combos, right? They, they, whereas then your specialization cards are like the execution cards, right? They execute on the setup from your background cards to, like, um, uh, to get things done in the game. And so we've kind of divided it into how you set, your, set yourself up and then how you execute. Uh, and ideally, um, each of the, our different backgrounds can pair with each of our different specializations to kind of enable you to set up your, you know, your four different potential specializations that execute in four different ways can be set up in four different ways from your four different backgrounds. So the background shepherd, for example, um, is a, um, that's a type of person who has worked with animals their whole life and is very connected to animals. And so a lot of their setup cards are going to involve working with the beings on the board, moving things around, setting them up in, within reach, maybe gaining resources based on how many beings they've gotten within reach. And so a lot of their setup is going to involve uh, animals, whereas somebody who's uh, like the, art, uh, the artisan is somebody who's worked with objects and crafting and like working with their hands. And so they're going to be a lot about gear and like um, a lot of their setup and gaining resources and enablers from, from their, that background is going to be focused around the gear on your board. And then as far as execution, you might have somebody like the explorer who's all about putting progress on obstacles in your way or on your location to travel. You know, they're all about executing on travel. So a shepherd explorer might be somebody who is like, um, enabling themselves through the animals in play, through the beings in play to execute that travel, right? And so, so like on a very mechanical level, they set that themselves up that, that way. Whereas like an artisan uh, explorer is somebody who is um, getting their travel done by setting up like a, an en a little engine in front of them of gear and then using that to set up and uh, execute on their traveling cards. And so ideally, um, there'll probably be some pairings that are better. Right. Um, some some will work better, and I'm, I'm sure people will come up with all sorts of cool different deck builds. But ideally, you can build a character from any combo based on kind of what parts of the game appeal to you. And you can also build it in terms of the cooperative nature. So it's like you mentioned travel. Travel is like the like a, a more back facing thing, where it's like there's stuff in front of you you got to deal with it. But then there's that overarching goal. It's like I got to get to this place and this place and this place. And that's more of a long term thing. You think of like a Heroes of Taranoff, another Sadler Brothers. Um, uh, thing where it's like, okay, I have to deal with what's coming out of me, those orcs and those goblins, but I also have to move from room to room. Otherwise, I won't be able to do what I'm doing. And this won't have a timer. Like, you know, any every Fantasy Fight game has a timer. That drove me nuts. But <laughs> <laughs> everything's pushing me towards somewhere. I don't want to be pushed. Leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> but in, you know, that timer setting up, okay, you must move from room to room. So then if you're thinking like a two-player game, one player might be like, okay, uh, I will be the animal person. And because the animals are more front-facing, they're just going to flow towards me. And then the other person can build towards, I'm, I want to be the uh, progress person. And obviously that's like, that's simplified. It's not going to be that simple, but like people can go into it at least with that general mindset. Is that fair? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I hope that that groups will kind of talk about their characters and uh, certain characters will synergize well with each other. So, you know, like building up that, you know, like kind of group rapport of like how your decks are going to play off each other is going to be really important. Additionally, uh, for our solo players out there, uh, building a deck for solo play is going to be something like you're going to have to make some choices around your deck specifically angled at solo play. Like having a one in certain aspects in solo play might make, uh, make your time in the valley a little more challenging. So like, um, I'm sure there'll be uh, people who make different solo play deck builds that kind of have that all comers, well-rounded vibe to them. Um, and so uh, I think some of our backgrounds and specializations will probably shine in solo um, uh, based on kind of the deck builds we've made ourselves. Will that be highlighted in the rule book? Um, so we are going to give some recommendations to people in the rule book for some, some like uh, for people who just want recommendations on like the, some of the, uh, good combos and choices. Uh, mm -hmm. People who just want to like get a character together and start playing and know that they're going to have some of those synergies in the game already. So we'll have some recommendations for that. But overall, the character experience, you know, like uh, I think a lot of players will want to, you know, really get in there, roll up their sleeves, and like uh, you know, make a deck and find the combos themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, if, you, if any at any time, Andrew, can chime in. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like in my experience, you know, the the, the community that follows uh, is is almost always better at at suggesting deck sure. builds for the, for this type of thing than anything we could possibly suggest in the rulebook. So uh, we will have, I think, what amounts to like kind of what Fisher was saying. What amounts to like a kind of like a quick start. Like, hey, if you like or, or like what, what you might find in like a boxed RPG set where it's like here's you, you can make your character, but here's some pre-builds for you if you want to just jump right in. Um, so we'll do something like that where you can kind of just you know construct a deck right off the jump and just just get playing. Um, but the character creation is uh, is so much fun, um, and you know you, you like you you play the demo with some pre-built decks, so you didn't really get to experience it, but. Uh, it's really, it's, it's, it's really, a, it's a pretty good time and it goes pretty fast. So um, it's not a, uh, it's, it's not super onerous, even if you're like new to the game uh, to just take a little bit of time to build a deck. You can, you can build it like Andrew's describing it, like with a very like analytical mindset and try to build like the best possible like combo and for, for your, for the cars in your deck, or you can just, you know, like, Hey, you know, like, I like this sheepdog, so I'm going to be the shepherd. Uh, and these are the cards yeah. I'm gonna pick, and just pick stuff on theme. Yeah, like uh, I, I'm, I want to be Ash Camp Pete so I can have the Duke. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Follow me around. I don't even know what he does. He, yeah. In some games, he's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I precisely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Precisely. So then, um, so finishing off with the player, I, I found that um, it really like the, like their cards seemed or my cards at the time uh, seemed quite complementary to those at that aspect system. It feels like the aspect system really is the engine that that makes this go. In terms of people who want to know what what is this and what am I doing? Like you have these four aspects and you're spending energy off of that aspect to do the things and then your cards complement and or like um you know they buff or they take away or whatever it is. So like maybe talk a little bit about the that aspect system and the four aspects and how that kind of really is the engine that makes the players do stuff. Yeah, so um, yeah, your, your four aspects, uh, they're each a number between one and three, and you get an amount of energy equal to uh, your, your value in each of the four aspects uh, each round. So the aspects are fitness, uh, focus, um, help me out, Andrew. Awareness. <laughs> Awareness and spirit. 
and it's, it's um, red, blue. <laughs> yeah, they, they they each have an icon and a color as well, um, to to make them easily discernible. But uh, so you you have the your your four different aspects, and the energy kind of determines what you're able to do in the round. Um, and so that at the heart of it, that is that is your kind of action points. Your capabilities within a round is determined by your energy. Any the meaningful things you're going to have to do are going to involve spending that energy. So playing a card, you're going to have to spend energy matching the aspect of that card and the, the cost in the upper left-hand corner. If you're going to perform an action, you're going to have to spend an amount of uh, energy. And you know, it, the more energy you commit to that uh, that action you're doing, the better hopefully you'll do on that action. And so um, a lot, a lot of the core of like, how much am I getting done this round is all about managing your energy and how much you're spending where, like, do I want to take a risk? I, I think you in the, the in the game, uh, you, you were conserving your energy and you just took a risk on like just playing, you know, right. a, a single energy on a, um, on a task, but you could draw a minus one off the challenge deck and, uh, you know, like end up getting a bunch of challenge effects triggering off of that action. Um, so that conservation was a risk you took. Um, or you could just blow all your energy to make sure you succeed, but you're getting uh, fewer things done in the turn. Yeah, think um, about like and Robinson so... Crusoe, which is up here, where it's like I could put one worker chip and have a chance, or I could put two worker chips to make sure, but then I can't do as much. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's kind of that 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 risk reward um, and that kind of like uh, energy management and conservation round to round. Um, so the aspects are kind of at the heart of metering what you can get done before you all need to rest for the round and draw new path cards and, and keep progressing on your journey. And there's no separate combat mechanism aside from the aspect system. Correct? Yeah. So um, we, this game is at its, its core about exploration, travel and discovery. And so combat is not like a central theme of this game, but um, it is something that, you know, may be a necessity from time to time. And it is something that happens in nature. So uh, you, you will see from challenge effects as you play the game, predators might attack prey, um, you know, like uh, natural events may harm uh, beings in play. Uh, you, you have to keep your, you know, friends, other humans safe from uh, the dangers of, of nature. So, so there is, there is, people can suffer harm. Um, they, you know, bad things can happen to people and in, in a pinch, uh, there are ranger cards that enable you to, to attack things, right? I think you swatted some giant bugs that were in your way, um, it, when you were playing, uh, but also like, you know, uh, your hiking staff in, in the deck you were playing also has an attack on it that, um, if you absolutely need to, if you're in a tight spot, you're cornered by a predator, you know, um, you can use that in an emergency, um, or I really like uh, one of the cards we designed for the Artificer um, is called uh, Moment of Desperation. And you throw one of your precious gadgets and it does uh, damage to a, um, uh, to a being based on uh, how many charges are on that gadget. So like, you know, it's, it, it, you're sacrificing something uh, quite a bit to, to do this, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of evoking that like, you know, it is something done in desperation. It's not just the default in the game to go out and like murder everything to, to, to get to your next objective. <laughs> it's really thematic. Like I can say that it was real. Like I, I, um, I made Andrew smile a couple of times during a playthrough. Cause I was like, I can see the bugs and I'm doing that, you know, just slap because <laughs> that's a hike, you know, that's what you do during a hike or like I'm stopping and like, you know, taking care of this or like, um, you know, if I'm meeting a person on the road, I, I use my interact stat and like, you know, just try to make get them on my side. Like you can see it. You know, I imagine yeah, and, like I, in the crafting of all the player cards, uh, you know, that they need to come out, you know, in terms of the interactable stuff, like 
emphasis was placed on making it feel right. Oh yeah. So um, there's there's a term that's that's uh, I think used a lot by uh, Mark Rosewater in Magic, which is top down versus bottom up, which mm -hmm. is talking about how you approach the design. Bottom up is like we design the mechanics first, and then how do you theme this? mechanical piece you've designed. Top down is you create the theme and then you try to create mechanics that will make people feel that theme, right? Really evoke that theme. And so like top down design is how we've approached the vast majority of cards in this game. Um, we want to make you feel every card and like feel like it is a living part of that world mechanically. Um, and so like, I think the sheepdog is a great example of this player card that you play. You know, um, its effect allows you to move other beings around the board, right? As the sheepdog herds them. Uh, this would have been easiest, most elegantly executed uh, mechanically by just making an action that you perform to uh, move things around, right? It's just an action, you slap it on the board, done, right? Call it sheepdog. <laughs> but, but we didn't want to do that. Uh, I, I like uh, we want people to you know like feel connected to their sheepdog, feel personally attached, right? It has a harm threshold; it can get harmed, and that's obviously something you really want to avoid. But also, um, it exhausts to do that movement effect, right? Your, your your sheepdog is running off; you exhaust it; it goes off and does that thing, and then you have an action that lets you pet the dog, <laughs> and uh, it soothes a little bit of fatigue off of you. It refreshes the dog, and then the dog can do the thing again. Is it less mechanically elegant than th th that card I described earlier? Yes, it is. But do you feel way more personally connected to this dog that is yours that you can pet? Absolutely, right? And so <laughs> that kind of ethos, that top-down ethos mm. of creating things that you really feel is like uh, one of our guiding um, principles as we're designing these cards. So then you, now we can talk about the world because we're, we're getting into that where... Uh, so as, as I did the demo, and I did the demo on TTS, uh, as you're seeing some stills as I was going on the way, you mentioned... Um, well, actually, I'll do the I'll do the top down thing. The thing, the first thing I noticed was, it's very living. It's a very living world, and that doesn't always happen in the LCG model, right? Where it's just like it's a lot. A lot of it's on my side, and then you know, each card is like one thing, right? It's like okay, the card comes out as a door, and like you know, if I have two successes, the door opens, and I discard the card. Here, so much happens. So much procs. You know, so I'm, I'm showing a picture right now of like the different, there's, you know, a lot of the cards, a lot of the event cards or whatever have like three different colors and they all interact off the challenge deck, right? So I'm gonna talk about, talk a little about how, uh, I, actually I'll, I'll leave it open-ended. So like, talk a little about how like you, you wanted to like kind of evoke the sense of like a living world, ecological world. Yeah, so um, uh, the primary mechanism we did that through is called challenge effects. Um, and these trigger at the end of uh, each action you perform. Uh, you'll look at the challenge card and there'll be a challenge icon on there. And um, you will trigger any effects on cards on the board that match that icon. And these will cause these cards to interact with you or other cards in the board and create this kind of living ecology. Um, <clears throat> when I talked about themes, I was, you know, like when Andrew and I were talking about the themes of the game really early on um, uh, that we talked about earlier, one of those themes was this feeling of a living, breathing ecology. And I think when uh, we were playing, you asked us, um, you know, you observed that a lot of our card real estate is dedicated to these challenge effects, these right. things that like the game is firing, the player isn't necessarily interacting with. <clears throat> and that, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, and I think that can show you the importance it takes to us, right? Like a rule should take up the space that equals its importance to you as a designer, right? And so these take up quite a bit of space because they're important to us. 
even though the player isn't doing it. So like, I think when people are looking at the game and I think some of the event cards were, were pretty fun facing, like I think the, the initial Kickstarter video had some of these event cards on it. And, and from my perspective, I'm looking at it, it's like, oh, I'm going to be interacting with that as a gamer. I'm going to check that. I'm going to like conquer that, but that's not how it works, right? It, the, the, it was in me, it's, doing, it's a challenge deck that's firing off those powers and I have to deal with the effects of those things. And so like, that could be cool, but that raises the question of, you mentioned the word, word elegance. You know, like I think people, when, when it comes to these, I think that the trend has been a try to like, okay, make it a little bit more elegant, at least the, um, the, the automated quote unquote side. Do you feel like that you have, that that might be created a little bit too much of a cognitive load on people, the tracking of it? Yeah, so the cognitive load actually is is a great way to to frame that and like how we were kind of thinking about this uh, as we were designing it. Um, so um, th that kind of question of complexity was something that was on our mind, and it's something that Andrew and I talked about pretty early on because you know as you as you can see, there's there's a lot of text on these cards, um, but there's there's different kinds of complexity in game, right? There is um, card complexity. And then there's like board complexity. So card complexity might be how complex is this one card in isolation? How much do you have to kind of understand to operate this card? But then there's board complexity. And that's a question of how much do you have to understand as these things start interacting with each other in the game? How much do you have to understand and keep in your head that cognitive load of everything going on on the board? Um, and so uh, I think what you see in a lot of games is things with very um, low, like card complexity, but that strive for high um, board complexity, right? And that, that's kind of viewed as this emergent complexity, um, th th this depth to the game. Um, so we've kind of tried to take a slightly different approach to that, um, that we, I think achieves a similar effect, um, which is, uh, you know, each card inherently does have a lot of text on it. However, those challenge effects only fire at a distinct moment um, it, which is when, when the challenge icon comes into play. Those tests are only, those actions are only relevant when you're looking at what is my total menu of options of actions I can perform on my turn. Um, we've tried to avoid a lots of uh, overlapping like passive effects that strain on that cognitive load and instead have opted for a lot of different effects that fire a certain percentage of the time on these challenge effects. Um, and so what that means is there is a lot of like emergent complex complex uh, emergent complexity in how the game is interacting but it is happening at these distinct times which means that you can kind of like put that over into the corner of your mind it, it's not weighing on your cognitive load it's not something you have to remember with every single interaction you're doing mm -hmm. but it does inform and so i think that's that's an important distinction is while this is impacting the board it is kind of one step removed from the player's decision but only one step because what decisions you decide to make, like I think uh, you saw this in your demo, is uh, you um, decided to, you were out of like focus energy, so you couldn't interact with a feature that was gonna enable you to track down the person you were trying to track. But instead you, you spent some time uh, like trying to hike um, mm -hmm. through, through, the, um, through the landscape. And as a result of that, a challenge effect fired that caused the trail to go cold, right? Um, so that challenge effect and that challenge effect triggering is impacting your decision making because now the next time you 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 go to hike you're like oh wait do i want to wait rest so that i can immediately jump on track and quizzy instead of spending other time doing this and so that 
So these challenge effects are things that are now informing how you're making decisions and like how the, the world is going to change based on these effects is informing and adding depth to your decision making, but in a way that you don't have to like constantly remember all the interactions um, as much as just be aware that they're things that can happen on the board. Right. Like this could happen. Like I could get washed out. I'm taking a risk. It's, a, it's, it's informing my risk calculation. It's not my like the, 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 the example people use all the time is Sentinels where it's like, okay, minus one to all lightning damage and my, you know, plus one to this one. And now when you really have to keep track of kind of all the time, yep. you know? And so you, you, so it is, there is complexity. This isn't just a story, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Uh, so there is like stuff to manage. And I think that's what people are looking for more than anything is like, you know, that they want to manage stuff. They want to like press buttons. And there, when I had the demo, there was a lot, yeah, yeah. A, a fair amount. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, Fisher can talk to this too about like our, the first time that we, we, we spoke about, um, uh, about the game and the things that were important to me about it is that, uh, yeah, the narrative is important. The theme's important, but, um, I'm also a card game player. Like I love card games, like Android Netrunner is probably my favorite game. Um, it's definitely my favorite card game. And uh, that has a lot going on. So like as a card game player, like I want and require engaging card play. Yes. Uh, so that is, uh, <laughs> that was like top of the list of <laughs> making sure that that worked and that worked well in this game. And I, I, I feel like we are, I feel like it's, I feel like it's finally, finally getting there, which is really awesome. I mean, I, like, uh, you know, at the demo, like you, you played, you know, it, like what we created is a, uh, is like a slice of the game. It's an experience uh, similar to like what you'll experience in the final game, but it is not necessarily the final game, right? We will continue to play test. We'll continue to iterate. We'll continue to refine like uh, mm -hmm. card games. Um, you know, I've been a part of a lot of, a lot of them and uh, there's not a single one of them that did not like continually go through development and play testing changes being made until the, until the absolute possible last moment as, as the project was going to the printer. <laughs> so I, I fully expect that this game is not going to be any different in that regard. Right. And so like, I think, I mean, all of this is a kind of act of reassurance <laughs> to, uh, to the audience who's maybe skeptical people in our discord and our community saying, okay, am I going to get, is there enough there there? For me to enjoy it and it's like the answer is yes the answer is or the answer the goal of the answer is to be yes the goal of the answer is not to be like okay we'll enjoy the story like that's there is, there is that but you know uh, you know it's not a story that you're used to you know it's it's a different kind of story it's not there is quote unquote losing but it isn't losing the way you're used to losing where it's like you die and then reset and then move again it's more like you know uh you lose something of value or you lose like a goal but then your world will change and you kind of go off in a different direction. You got it. You got right. It. So like there is quote unquote losing. So like, you know, so like, I think saying like, okay, there is no winning and losing that'll like get into the player's mind. Oh my God, it's only a story game. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think the idea is like, okay, losing doesn't look the way you're used to looking at it. It yeah. isn't zero sum. It's you like, you yeah. could have workshopped that with me before I did the script <laughs> for my video. And maybe it would have saved, oh. saved a lot of trouble. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a psychotherapist. <laughs> we, we deal with loss aversion like, on a daily basis. So like, <laughs> and like, and, and honestly, like, I think, you know, uh, Jeff Engelstein's book um, talks about achievement unlocked. I think it's called it talks about like loss aversion as like the thing in games and how like you play with players loss aversion and, but that you can do it differently. It doesn't have to be the same old, thing of like zero sum you yeah. win or you lose yeah. like okay I, so that's that so when i was expressing that in the um you know in describing it in in the in the video and i just and that that text is really straight from the playtesting rule book that i wrote uh this past winter um 
my perception of it in the way that I approached it was like when I play games like, you know, like Lord of the Rings, I think is a great example of that. Um, the Lord of the Rings uh, uh, LCG is that, you no, know, you just straight up lose uh, when, when, <laughs> when, the, when your threat meter goes up uh, too high. And, uh, and then you just got to do it all over again. And like, that's the perception I wanted to avoid. And that's what I wanted to avoid is like, I don't want to have to continue to replay it because um, if I don't do it the first time or the second time or the third time, am I even going to play that game again? Um, and in my mind, usually mostly just because my time is what it is. And I think a lot of people's time is what it is. The answer is oftentimes no. Like, do I want to go and just get beat up again? Eh, I don't know. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that was where I was coming from with that. And like, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that, um, that really got in people's minds, like exactly like, because we're so conditioned through the different types of games we're presented with that. If you say you can't lose and it's like, okay, well then what's the point. Um, right. and, uh, that is, that is not, that, that was not my intent whatsoever. Yeah. I so mean, like, I think like when it comes to excitement, right. Like, I think you, you can make like a delightful game. Right, you can make a game with with a bunch of like stuff that happens. Ooh, look at that! And uh, you know the fawn comes, and this comes, and that. Oh, this looks like uh, this feels. This reminds me of a trail. Like mm-hmm. that delightful thing is something that a game can do. But I think if you want like an exciting game, it needs to play with loss. It, it doesn't have to play with loss in that zero sum way, right. but at least like you know I'm going to invest myself in this aspect of the game, and then this aspect it can be threatened by X Y Z A B C one two three, and if I lose that then you know i that's where the excitement comes because like i I want my like you know if i play this walking or like do the thing we talk about the destroy my um my artifice thing like i want that to be like ooh, you know i i'm gonna lose this (laughs) but i'm gonna do it to gain this other thing like playing with that one i think gamers want that yeah well that's what they get and i think that's that's what we're getting yeah that's that's totally what you're getting i think that uh yeah that that's a very important distinction to make is that yeah you're you're 100 correct it's not loss as then like as a game over screen it is loss as like oh man i really wish that went differently um but my hope is that you know you you'll just keep going and just see where the story goes uh instead of like feeling compelled to have to redo that until you get the sure. resolution you want. Though, you know, the people will do that on their own anyway. I mean, they'll, they'll be people who are just like, nah, this is what I want, you know, reload. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's try that again. And right. I think yeah, that that's a fine way to approach it too. Okay. Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a certain amount of semantics here where, where we avoid yeah. the word loss because there's an implication that that means game over, load back at a save point, right? But like, uh, say for example, you're on a mission where an area is flooding, right? Um, there is there is a, a, there's not a win and loss condition, but there's the condition where you contain the flood and there's a, a condition where you don't and that flood wreaks havoc, right? <laughs> like really, like I think we can all see that there's a win and a loss condition there, but they're both story implications that go forward and you didn't lose the game and restart, right? So like, like, it's you know it's 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 hard because you know we want to communicate like you can lose a mission right right but you're not losing the game and starting mm-hmm. back at a save point you're just dealing with the repercussions of what you failed to do if if you 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 lost right yeah i think if figuring out how to market that is going to be difficult but i think that's the to to to, to really reassure people that this is really a game or whatever uh <laughs> that like you can lose an objective like you can lose something valuable you can lose, you know, like you said, for a mission, but you know, that doesn't mean restart. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, even the stakes of the main, uh, of the central narrative are, are, are pretty big. And there's like one outcome that we've talked about that is like really huge. And like, mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of people look at that as like the bad ending, but like, from my perspective, I'm like, man, I kind of want to see what happens with the rest of the story. If we just keep running with that mm -hmm. bad ending and where does that lead? That seems cool. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty bad though. It is, it is pretty bad, <laughs> but it's cool. It's also very cool. Yeah, it, it is cool. Yeah. It's... Nice. So I think we've, I mean, I've answered a lot of my questions and, you know, um, in terms of helping people know what this is and what you're accomplishing, uh, was there anything that we haven't covered that you wish we would have, or anything that you would want gamers to know? I know there's, there's updates coming and there's, you know, the campaign is rolling on, but in terms of anything big that we've missed. Again, like my, my hope is to bring everybody a, a really phenomenal tabletop experience that is both like really narratively satisfying in a way that games usually aren't. And also like very mechanically satisfying in a way that you expect from a card game like this. Um, mm -hmm. It's trying to hit both of those things. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's definitely mashing up uh, genres in a way that hasn't necessarily been done before. So um, uh, whether you back it now or you wait to see what people do you know the game is you know we've we've funded it's happening so uh yep. so yeah even if you uh if you're still skeptical after all this and you just want to wait until it hits market and the uh and we gear up again to do marketing as the game starts to come out uh, that's that's totally cool i i uh, hope you try, try out the game eventually and that uh, really that it really speaks to you cool anything else fish no i, I think that all right, so that is Earthborn Rangers. I've done as much as I could to answer people's questions on Discord, uh, concerns, criticisms. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, I think you have as much information as I could, uh, in this format that I could possibly give. And I think that, um, you know, once again, uh, it is your money. It is your time. Uh, go ahead and check out the project. Hopefully you have enough information to figure out whether it's worthwhile project for you. For me, I mean, it's kind of in my wheelhouse. I'm a big card player. I will be honest. I have not gone in on any of the current LCGs because of what you were talking about that, you know, I get a little bit bored by like the, you know, enemy of the month, right? And, you know, I, I want like, cause, cause the story time always kind of funnels that way. It's like, mm -hmm. there's all this cool story that happens and I want to go here to explore that little corner, but then that ignores the big looming thing. And so there's always like a threat meter. There's always like some kind of timer that's pushing me towards something. So like, it's like, uh, that's not my experience. This sounds a little bit more kind of, in my wheelhouse, a little bit open-ended uh, and, you know, plan. And there is, and, you know, having done a TTS, um, there is management, there is card play. This isn't just like turn a card and read. So I think it has a potential to be something that, you know, could appeal to someone like me who is kind of more in the story into things, but wants to make kind of cool too. So that's kind of where, where I'm at, but I don't know. I've only played, I've only swatted bees. So <laughs> <laughs> catch me when I fight a monster, then I'll tell you exactly what. <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to come back in and play the table, if you want to play the, uh, the TTS uh, mod again, Jason, you're more than welcome to. So that's going to be the show for this week. Uh, I'm releasing this one a week earlier than intended to answer people's questions uh, on the comments comments of the Kickstarter page and also on the Discord of the One Stop Co-op Shop. Go ahead and join our community. Go, uh, it's The link is right in the show notes uh, to join that discussion. So many people wanted to know about gameplay. How does this work? I hope that I have answered uh, the right questions in this interview and that people have a little bit more of a sense of what they would be getting by backing this. Uh, I'm also going to include a link to the Team Covenant playthrough uh, of Earthborn Rangers so that you can really get a sense of whether this is the project for you. 
Next week, we're going to be back and we're going to be talking with the Andrews about Earthborn Games, sustainability. It's a very interesting uh, take, uh, some very interesting values, and I can't wait to share with you that discussion as well. So until next time, this is Jason reminding you, if you can change your mind, you can change the world. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.